Hello, and welcome to the Modern Goat Rider podcast. I'd like to take this opportunity to emphasise the opinions expressed by our hosts and guests are strictly their own and do not represent the positions of any lodge, grand lodge, or other branches of the independent order of Oddfellows. Fascinating conversations will be open to the public for the purposes of inspiring our global membership and promoting the order. So, sit back, open your ears, and your heart in your hand while I introduce you to our hosts. Welcome to the Modern Goat Rider Podcast. I'm Billy Sanderson. And I'm Josh Miller. How are you today, Josh? I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm really letting the love flow. I'm letting it flow into my body and overflow my cup and then out of my body into the world around me and the people around me. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm really working on the L uh, this this week. I'm really the working L. on the L. The yeah. L. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, I didn't think about which one I'm working on this week. What have I been working on this week? Oh, it's been a tough week at work. So there's been a lot of tea. Uh, A lot of tea. A lot of tea for people. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Too much tea. Too much tea. Maybe a little too much tea. Well, you gotta, you gotta be teaful. You gotta be teaful. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So today we're uh, joined by a guest uh, who is a previous short guest um, in episode cold short uh, short. He was on the show for a short time uh, in our hot and cold calls. And uh, that is uh, brother Russ Campbell. And we have a a round table, try something a little different once in a while. And uh, we decided to take up the conversation and topic of leadership. Uh, both in the lodge and uh, in your regular everyday life. Yeah, and Russ is a great example of uh, of a leader, and uh, you'll hear you'll hear from his answers and and also the way that he props up the people around him, uh, literally and figuratively, by encouraging them. And uh, yeah, he's just got he's got a, a a wonderful outlook and a lot of little nuggets about uh, leadership, and as as you do as well, Billy. And I hope I got a couple too. So uh, I hope everybody enjoys this one. This is uh, a good chance to uh, check out what leadership might mean within your lodge and within your community. Right. And before Russ left, he sent a quote here. He says, one of my favorite quotes, uh, do not go where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. So everyone, as Josh said, enjoy. So we're sitting down here with uh, our friend Russ Campbell, and uh, what we thought we would be doing today is a uh, roundtable discussion on a favorite topic of all of ours. Before we get to that, uh, Russ, why don't you tell us about yourself and how you became an Odd Fellow and um, what you what you dig about Odd Fellowship right now? Uh, well, hello, thanks for uh, inviting me on on the Goat Rider podcast. Uh, I have been an odd fellow uh, just shy of 11 years. Uh, it just so happened that I was initiated on the very same day uh, as our uh, fellow podcaster, Josh Miller. So we were initiated together and that was the, the first night that I met Josh. And so we've been uh, brothers uh, ever since. 
I was brought into the Odd Fellows through uh, the poker tournament, and I know on your last podcast you were talking about fun events and how they they uh, can draw people in and, and get people hooked on, on Odd Fellows. And uh, yeah, so that's how I started off. I got involved in that, and then my actual brother uh, sponsored me and, and brought me into the lodge. Which brother was that? Your actual brother did, right? Yeah, my brother James uh, used to be uh, a member in the lodge, and uh, at the time uh, there was a push in the lodge uh, 11, 12 years ago to to get some new members, and uh, I was one of the the brothers that uh, people candidates that, that came in with that, with that first wave. So, why did you think Oddfellows was going to be a fit for you at the time of joining? Uh, I think I was intrigued. Uh, I had done been involved in the poker tur- charity poker tournament that we had done every year. Um, I'd been involved in that in a, in a couple of years. And then, honestly, I didn't know a ton. I, I'd been exposed to the hall through that event, and it was a really fun event. Uh, but it wasn't until I really got dragged into the lodge by my brother that I found out a bit more about Oddfellows. And then um, a few months in, I had an experience that uh, I think was formative in, in making me an odd family. So it was uh, as I started to learn uh, about uh, um, what the odd fellows did, I, I realized that um, I had a, a pretty good family support network, that I had uh, two brothers um, here in Victoria, that, that uh, if life were to go sideways, then I had that family support network. And I realized that. So I came to learn more about Oddfellows and what it was about is, is that's uh, one, one aspect of Oddfellows is, is that uh, it's a support network so that for, for members that uh, if life were, were to go sideways, you've got someone to call and uh, to help you out and, and to lean on. Uh, and that and so early on in my, uh, the first spring after I was initiated, I had an experience where a coworker of mine uh, was going through a tough time, uh, has his mother-in-law was had terminal cancer. He was having a son that was born at Children's Hospital. And uh, I was able to stand up in the lodge and ask for some assistance. Uh, and uh, brother that I know we'll, we'll talk about later, right away said, yep. And uh, next thing I knew, I had a check for $1,000 in my hand. Uh, and the, the experience of delivering that check and being able to help out um, another person um, is is that experience of giving and, and being able to support that person when they were in that time of need is is what I would say is uh, was very formative in me be, becoming an odd fellow. Uh, that experience you know, is he uh, uh, said to me at the time he said uh, you didn't have to do this and uh, I said yep I know I didn't uh, but I wanted to and 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 thankfully I was I was able to and so. From that, uh, that's been a, a springboard uh, for me over the past 10 years to have many more experiences like that and, and be able to lean on, on members of the Lodge when others are in need and, and, and myself and my family have been in need. So it's, uh, do you think that it was because you had that early experience that you became such a powerful leader within our Lodge so quickly? I mean, uh, first, uh, so you, I mean, you got to get that experience early, earlier than most do uh, in their odd fellowship um, life, you know, earlier than I kind of got that, that moment because you received all that, those benefits for others that, that led you to be such a stalwart leader within our lodge, um, you know, giving benefits to many others. It did. Uh, There was, and then essentially the, the first year after I joined, uh, I ended up going through a, a marital separation 
and and I think um, you know uh, during that year, two years of of transition, um, Odd Fellows was a uh, a steady part of my life. Uh, it was somewhere that there was positive things happening. I could show up, and and uh, people were were you know the the friendship and love side of things were there for me and then so having that experience of being able to give and support and help somebody uh while i was going through some time as well and then um the other aspect too is is that uh we had a senior member at the time push me into being secretary of the lodge and and so uh, i kind of once i got pushed into being on the executive it was like okay well then i guess i'm gonna offer up my opinion on how, how I think the lodge should be run <laughs> and, uh, and, and kind of went from there. And, uh, and I mean, if we kind of lead into leadership and how our lodge uh, has evolved over the last 10, 11 years, um, I think Josh could agree that when we first joined the first two or three years, we didn't necessarily have strong leadership in the Noble Grand Chair. And, uh, and, uh, uh, I think we wandered a bit in those first couple of years, and uh, Josh, you were took the reins on on the ton of love and and got that going. And uh, I stayed involved in the in the poker tournament. Uh, that was a, an event that I I grew to love and and enjoy. And uh, and then I think um, you know if we want to talk about um, some leaders in the lodge, um, there's brother uh, brother Ackerman. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> affectionately, I can tell you when I was secretary, I was reading through the roll call and, and I couldn't read the handwriting of people who had signed their names. And, and uh, so I said, Brother Ackerman instead of Brother Aitchison. And uh, so that's, that's where that came from. I think one of the first roll calls I did as a secretary, uh, that's how we got that nickname. Uh, but I realized uh, as we transitioned, uh, once uh, Brother Scott took the reins as, as vice grand, and then when he moved into the Noble Grand Chair, uh, is when our lodge um, stepped up its game. And uh, he uh, looked to, if you want to look at, at um, going on your topic of leadership, um, you know, he, he took a strong leadership role and he chose people to be in, in the positions in the lodge. That he knew were, were ready to to be active and do things and uh and we took off from there so how did you see the role that brother scott played um and as you say he he, he filled chairs with other people but from a leadership point of view did you see him as the sole leader or what what was his uh what was his strategy about adding more people and what did you see when you refer to him as a stronger leader? So I, had, I, um, I think one of the things that helped me, uh, cause I was Noble Grand in, in the year 2017. Uh, and I think one of the things that, that really helped me have a, a good year as Noble Grand, uh, is, is I had the four years as secretary. And so I had seen uh, a couple of the Noble Grands come in, and they started the year and uh, just kind of, you know, if you take a look at our year as an odd fellow, we, we, we start off in January with new executive and, and things like that. And, and then we essentially have 20 meetings a year. And uh, I was seeing these noble grands that would come in and, and they didn't necessarily have a plan. And they, and so it was six months into the year, by the time they got comfortable in the position, 
and we're, we're actually doing things. And so um, I think year four, uh, three or four was about uh, when I was sec secretary and when uh, Scott Aitchison came in as Noble Grand and he definitely had a plan that, that he put in place right from the start. And he knew uh, right from the start that he wanted to be active and moving forward. And so right from January, February, we were, we were doing things and, and he was, he was driving the bus and uh, um, just pushing us, pushing all, all the, those that were willing and interested in being active and, and doing events or activities. Um, he, he drove the bus and brought those people along um, for the ride, basically. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like that was when, people started to want to be Noble Grand rather than had to be, you know, like it would seemed like up until that point, it was your duty to run the chairs. Mm -hmm. And then once Scott and then Jeff, and then uh, who was before had, you? I uh, went Derek Jackson, Bill Derek, Murphy, Bill, and you. Scott Shaw, <clears throat> and then myself. Yeah. I, th I feel Derek. like that was when people started to want to, and when you want to, then you do a better job you know, rather than have to. And uh, so uh, like the idea of a unwilling or reluctant leader was prior to Scott? Uh, potentially. I think um, they were filling the role and, uh, and the role was filled just by say, by who hadn't done it and by, by seniority, by simply having been in the lodge long enough that, okay, you're the next guy that, that should do it. And, and I think uh, ever since Scott was Noble Grand, I think uh, people have been people that have sat in that chair have pursued it because uh, they wanted to. They had a, a set of goals or, or their vision of how uh, they wanted to run the lodge, and and their vision of, of how they wanted to, to bring the lodge to, to to new heights or or keep it you know keep it on track. Um, and just a little bit more ambition than just, uh, just, oh, it's my turn. Right. So, Josh, you're the member exactly the same number of days uh, as uh, Russ here. So, um, not to debate Russ's opinion, but what did you see through that time? Did you recognize leadership in the same ways? Yeah, I think um, like Russ, you know, prior to Scott, we saw guys who were kind of going up there with the idea that this is just another line on their resume you know, noble grand of a fraternal order, you know, when Scott got up there, uh, he did it with passion and he did it because he wanted to be there. I don't know if he had, he didn't necessarily have a plan, you know, a cohesive plan of what he was going to do or what he was going to accomplish over the year. But I think uh, I really recognize the fact that he was dedicated. He didn't miss a single meeting. He was there, you know, early and he was prepared, you know? So, I think that was a real turning point for our lodge and um, everybody that's been up there since has done it because they want to do something. And, and we have been challenging our noble grands with like a theme for their year. You know, you only, you only have this, uh, this position for, for a short amount of time. So, you know, come there with an idea of what you want to accomplish over the year and what you would like your legacy of being noble grand to be. And it makes a huge difference within the lodge because um, that top-down leadership, that one guy who is there, 
uh, week in, week out, you know, willing to put in the hours, like you've told me, Billy. Uh, it, it's a full-time job being a noble grand sometimes. You know, it's not just uh, three hours twice a month. You know, you should be thinking and doing as often as every couple of days for your lodge for that year. So uh, we, and we have seen that since, and it's been, it's been inspirational for me. So I, I really enjoy it. And I love when Russ Campbell was the noble grand, you know, you felt like you had a guy who had your back, you know, and that was, that was, a, that was a great feeling. And he does ramble, you know, he's a, he, he likes his speeches, but every single one of his speeches comes straight from that massive heart of his and uh, you can feel it. And, and it's great having him in all the other positions too. Cause you still get that, um, <laughs> you still get that big heart in those long speeches sometimes, <laughs> but you can cut them off when you're noble grand. So that's pretty good. I, I you know, I've liked this year for that, but uh, yeah, it's been interesting to see that, that change, you know, because there was a couple of years when we first started and it could have been really easy for us to lose momentum or for us as new members to kind of go, what is this? You know, I'm just swimming in this pool and I don't really understand what's going on because no one's telling me and no one's really leading me. And we have a different guy up there saying the words every week because uh, the noble grand won't show up. So, so I wanted to go like you, you uh, gave me the, the image that I wanted and I didn't realize that that was the image I wanted, but you say about swimming in a pool and we've talked about laneways before. I'm pretty sure we've, maybe it was in a regular show, but the, the idea that the leader is setting out the, the laneways that all the members can find their, their lane to swim in, whether it's fast or whether it's quiet and it's just a volunteer lane or if it's the, uh, you know, lead the committee on X, Y, and Z. So is, is that an important component or is that just me jumping all over a weird image? Like, is that something that you guys think is important about the leader of a lodge? I can ramble on this for a couple of minutes, and this is some of the notes I took. Um, I absolutely believe, agree with you, and, and believe in that. Um, and so, um, you know, one of the things you asked me uh, in when you were setting that stuff was just about my my leadership experiences. And one of the formative things uh, that I did before I came to Odd Fellows is I worked with the Mountain Bike Society, and we did um, trail maintenance every month at the local bike park. And a couple of things I learned out of there is out of being involved in that is that um, everyone has a different skill set and that something different that they bring to the table. And this is, you know, if you want to bring back to Oddfellows, this is why we're, we're a bundle of sticks and we're, you know, when we were a bundle of sticks, we were together, we're, we're really strong and we're all different sticks. And so with mountain bike trail maintenance, different jobs could be moving big rocks, carrying dirt, running a wheelbarrow, pruning bushes and, and things like that. So I adopted a, a philosophy there. Um, there was two aspects to it. One is, is that uh, I didn't feel like I was um, out in the bike park enough to see everything that needed to be fixed. So I had to cultivate or create a culture where people came forward and reported stuff. And then um, instead of me telling people what to do, because I didn't want to um, tell people, so-and-so to lift this big rock and then they say, oh, you know, and they, they hurt themselves and, and that. So I learned, I traded around to learning to ask people to do uh, 
ask people to do things. And so a good, I, my belief is that a good leader plans things out and says, this is what we need. And then just asks your, your membership, hey, can someone do this? And then when you have all these different people with different skill sets, especially with volunteers, you know, by virtue of them being a member or by virtue of them coming forward as a volunteer, they want to help. And then they get to choose what they're going to do that fits their skill sets. And uh, it, it, it's empowering for them. It's respectful to them. And I think it creates a culture where, you know, when it, when it comes to odd fellows, I think there's an opportunity that if someone sees a concern in the community and they bring that forward to the lodge and they can get the support of the lodge and then they can help solve that problem or solve that, you know, tend to that need, that's very self-fulfilling. And it's like, say, my first experience was like that. I brought forward a concern. The lodge was able to help me and, and, and that. And I think that comes to also to events uh, is that um, a good leader isn't, isn't judgmental of, of measuring different contributions because we all, you know, we're all living busy lives and one person might be way more available and be able to put in, uh, you know, be able to volunteer at every event and put in lots of volunteer hours. And then another person might only be able to volunteer at one event a year. And, you know, without being judgmental, you know, all of those efforts um, contribute to the greater good. Uh, so that's another aspect of it. But I think if you're, if you're staying in your lane, I think the beauty of odd fellowship is because we're all, we're odds, you know, we're different professions, we're different skill sets, different character types. Uh, um, when you bring them all these different things to the table, that's when, when the, the sum of the parts uh, becomes great. Yeah. We're going to get back to leadership in a second. I just want to derail this conversation. Uh, this kind of halftime. Uh, we're speaking of skill sets and uh, one of the main skill sets that I see from you is your ability to build things. If anybody's been to Victoria or been to an event, uh, you might've seen something. So um, just, um, just as an, uh, we interlude uh, before we return to our uh, leadership uh, discussion, what are your top five things your top five favorite things that you built for our lodge. Number five. Number five. Okay. Um, let's go with the, uh, the six by six, the disc golf carrier. Right. Yeah. You just built a beautiful uh, disc golf carrier. You can carry six discs and six beers. And uh, that was a prize for our uh, disc golf tournament. Number four. Uh, I made some laser engraved uh, clocks that had some, Oddfellows logos on them and sold them at a silent auction. Amazing. Laser engraved clocks. Okay. Number three. Uh, so let me think here. So I know what my number one is going to be. Okay, good. Uh, number two wasn't for an Oddfellows event, but it was something else. Uh, number three, I'll go with, uh, this just came up in my Facebook memories from yesterday. A year ago, I got a work party together and I didn't actually do it just the building, but facilitated all of it was um, all the props uh, the frames for the circus tents for the, the circus uh, event fundraiser event that, that happened last year. And uh, so, yeah, all the had, freak, what was it? Freak show and kissing booth and uh, those kind of things. Yeah. So I built, uh, I should, no, I didn't, uh, I coordinated with another group of, I was smart this time as I, I got some help and like uh, a leader, like a leader and, does. Uh, <laughs> Got uh, five brothers over to my house for the afternoon, and we put together 
um, these wooden frames uh, for circus tents, a false doorway, a couple of false doorway arches and some signs and, and which then went on to the decorating committee and got painted and looked absolutely amazing for the event. Okay, and number two? Number two was I was at the previous uh, Halloween event and I threw out a challenge to our another oddfellow, Shiraz. I said, hey, if you ever need anything for one of your music videos, um, I, you know, I, I'm happy to, it'd be fun, fun to build something. And so he, right away, he said, yeah, I need a, a, a six foot heart. And so I need for this video that I want to do, and it needs to be like a big eight, six or seven foot heart. And I'm going to put flashing lights on it and paint it pink and stuff. And so a couple of weeks later, we, we built a heart and uh, I can see Billy's kind of snickering because it ended up at his house on, on New Year's Eve. It was at a house party. And, heart. Uh, the heart's been yeah. around. Yes, it, okay. and actually, it was the backdrop. Actually, sorry, it did get used at a at an event because it was the backdrop at the uh, comedy. Uh, That's event. right. That's right. Yeah. And I think I know what your number one is. But what, did you? So this would be one and a half. Uh, in all, um, you know, Billy loves one and a halfs. Did you do the um, our awards? Did you build our awards? Oh yeah, I guess I've I've made some trophies. Yeah, the rookie uh, of the year award and the odd fellow of the year award. Those are really cool. Uh, the odd fell of the year, the bundle of sticks ones, it was actually Neil Props. That, that okay, got it. That. But uh, okay. the rookie of the year, the three links award, uh, yes, I did make that. Okay, and without further ado, the number one thing that Russell <laughs> Campbell made for Columbia Lodge number two is... Oh, shoot, I screwed up. Um, the one thing I made, so there's going to be two things left. Because um, <laughs> there's one for our lodge, and then there's one for the Bastions. So the so the one and a half for me would be the triangle voting box that I made. Right. Because I, I forgot that because he surprised me with this. Why was it the triangle? Why was the triangle? Why was it a triangle voting box? Just because it, I saw a picture of the all seeing eye and it kind of matched that shape. And so I just thought, you know, everybody likes, can you, it's easy to make a square box. Where's okay. The- without further ado, the number one thing that Russell <laughs> Campbell made for Columbia Lodge number two is. Uh, the coffin. A new coffin. Yeah. yeah. So quick story. Uh, Bastion Lodge was holding a, an event called the, the Dead Fellows Speakeasy. And about a month before the event, uh, there was a, a face group, group going around, messaged and said, hey, we need a coffin. And so being that I, I love a challenge, I love to build things, I said, hey, if you can't find a coffin, I'll make one. And uh, Wednesday morning before the event, I, I checked in and I said, hey, do you have a coffin? The answer was no. So I quickly looked on my friend YouTube and uh, DIY Google searched. Yeah, I can make a coffin for the, I gave him the material price. And um, luckily I, I work from home and uh, I've got a garage workshop. And uh, so Saturday morning I delivered a, a plywood coffin uh, with a, I had a nice little laser gray plaque on the top. And uh, yeah, I think that was the, the most fun uh, thing I've made uh, just uh, I think it really helped that event uh, it was just an amazing thing we've got our we're blessed with a pretty cool hall and f- to push 100 people into that room with the lights down and mood music and a coffin sitting in the middle of the room was uh, a pretty fun thing to do super cool it was so awesome and yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, we're not going to let people know who don't who aren't odd fellows listening to this about uh, what coffins are used for 
Yeah, we yeah, just we've couldn't got the find one. Thing. We don't know how we couldn't find one. It was just yeah, exactly. <laughs> weird. So weird. Why would we not have a coffin laying around? Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, now back okay, to your regularly so- <laughs> uh, scheduled program. So what actually is interesting, because somehow Josh got me a segue here. So with the the building for the good sorry, the, um, the freak shows, uh, circus, you had a team and yes, this kind of is where I really kind of want to steer us all because I think the idea of leadership isn't just the noble grand. It isn't just a hierarchy. It isn't just a seniority and you needed leaders on your team Yes, to, yep. to make sure that the, the hierarchy leader or the, the head of the activity group isn't exhausted so they need quality people and quality leaders on their team so um, i'm going to leave this open to both of you guys because you both have had major events um and and over the years russ in the poker tournament but where do you guys go on your uh how to stack your team so to speak so you you go first this time josh well for stat i mean stacking your team is you know for me you know in my leadership skill set is more about rah 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 and um you know really instilling passion and finding finding people who are excited about doing something you know otherwise it doesn't work so what i do to stack my team is you know i get really excited about something and i throw it out there with with you know all the enthusiasm that i can and i see who grabs onto that and when i find somebody who really wants to grab onto it i give them all the space in the world to figure out how to make this theirs as well. I think that a good leader um, is someone who can step back and allow a person the space to, to flourish. You know, you give them, you tell them they're amazing and you give them responsibility and uh, you know, you let them, you let them run with it. And when you find another person who's as excited as you about the, what you're doing or another five people or another 10 people, um, it makes it a lot easier. So I kind of just, I just get out there and, and look around. I'm, I'm kind of like throwing it out to as many people as possible and see who wants to come with me and, and move with me. So that's how I do it. Russ. I'm really glad that you went first because I, I'm really <laughs> laughing because I actually feel the same way. Uh, right. Like just everything you said there absolutely rings true with me. Um, I think that um, a good leader to be a good leader, you can't do everything. And so, but my skill set, I think my skill set is that I'm uh, really good at, at, at keeping track of details um, and seeing how they fit with the big picture. And so as a leader, your, your main job is just to be, have an idea of what you want to happen and be organized enough so that you can ask for it with enough time for other people to have time to do everything. Um, and so that's exactly what Josh was saying is that far enough out from say, if there's an event or something like that, um, you articulate what you need and it's, yeah, it's that cheerleading. And, and you said it in, in the last episode, Josh, that you're not afraid to ask. And I'm the same way as I'm not afraid to ask. I'm not afraid to, to speak out. And the times that uh, I, I end up doing more work are when, I haven't been organized enough to, to ask for help. And so that's when I would end up doing things. The other thing I, I 
I've also come to, to learn after doing several events is that sometimes you get an idea of, of it, what, what you want the event to be and you ask for it, but then if it doesn't manifest, I guess it just wasn't meant to be, you know, and, but going back to uh, what Josh was saying is, is I think when you have different people coming forward, you, you articulate the needs and different parts of, of a project or an event or whatever. And so this is where you're forming your committee and, and, this kind of goes back to the the mountain bike trail building is is I would set up on a maintenance day um, at, at the time there was some days where I was getting 75 volunteers so there's no way I could tell 75 individuals what exactly what they're all going to work on so I picked I had I knew I had say six what I called crew chiefs and then those crew chiefs I let them uh, research and and figure out what the project was going to be and then we would just put up a whiteboard and say, you know, hey, everybody, these are the projects we're working on. Sign up for one of the projects. And then people would, you know, split off and do it. And the same thing applies to, to running events and doing things in the lodge is that when you see somebody come forward, um, and I've been lucky, say, for example, with the poker tournament, you know, the poker tournament has different areas. They've, there's somebody to run the bar. There's somebody to run the kitchen. There's somebody to run registration there's someone that does decorations there's someone that does cleanup and and thing and then there's someone that does ticket sales so you you articulate that each of those areas needs people to help out and then when people come forward um is that you you respect uh, you, know, you know um i don't have expertise in all of those areas and when someone comes forward and as a candidate that can lead one of those areas then i you know you, you know you're I, good leader empowers that person to, to take it and run with it. And uh, I, I think one of the, the first times I, I really acknowledged that is I was standing at the front door of the poker tournament and we, um, there's some Irish guys and they always drink Guinness beer and we had Guinness on draft and I'm standing at registration and in walks one of the volunteers with three flats of Guinness beer, walks by me back to the bar. And so at that point I knew, Oh, we're obviously having problems with our Guinness draft, but my bar chief is completely competent, got it all under control because he, he didn't even need to come and ask me what to do. And so that's when I, you know, just reinforced that I had picked uh, uh, a great person for that and just allowed them to run with it. And it's, it's gone through to other events that um, once those people come forward, yeah, you, you let them, you empower them by uh, respecting their expertise. Um, you know, you're guiding the initial, you know, the, the outcome so it fits with the big picture, but, but you're allowing them to run that aspect of, of it by themselves and and they get a, an opportunity. It's, a, you know, I believe in a rising tide raises all ships. And, and so when you, you bring the more leaders that you cultivate makes your, your job easier as, as well. So uh, basically anytime I, I, those candidates, I think naturally people that are, have that leadership tendency come out of the woodwork when, when given that opportunity. And, uh, uh, you know, so that, that's how I approach it as well. Very similar to what Josh said. And I think Billy, you know, as a leader that you don't hire smart people and then tell them what to do. You hire smart people so that they can tell you what to do. Yeah, I, um, uh, you know, you use the word hire, and that's kind of the challenge here is that volunteer organizations struggle with the 
position of leadership because it is so much more challenging. Um, there are less commitments by the people working on the team, uh, obligation commitments, I guess, is the way to say it. So if you can, if you can translate your enthusiasm into an understandable enthusiasm for each of the people who are working on your team and they pick up on it, it's not just rah, rah, rah. It's sometimes it's very specific to the person and that takes time to, to learn um, when you work with these people. But if, if they have the enthusiasm that you've given them and you've been clear on a vision that where it's, there's freedom in the vision and then where there's strictness in the vision, um, if they understand that, you, you let go of the reins and you, you watch the person go and, and run with it. Um, there's plenty of cases where you have a, you're still in sort of the forming and the idea generation for certain, maybe an event or how it's going to look. And, you know, if you're still working on that, the day of the event, you're going to stress all the type A personality people like me who, who are there out. Um, but the creative people might still pull it out of the hat with like five minutes to go, right? Like, the door's opening and they haven't quite figured it out and I'm in scrap it mode. Um, so I think the good leader knows his team and knows how to translate their vision into something that's understandable. You pulled off an amazing event uh, recently, last couple of years, that dinner in the hall. Yeah. What, uh, <laughs> I feel like you did, you and Deb, your wife, who's also an odd fellow, an amazing um, event coordinator in her own right. I think you guys did most of the work, though. Like you're kind of like took over all the details. And yeah. I know people helped you out, but you, you, you had a vision. And yeah, uh, I, I had actually not to be, I'm going to try to keep it short. The, the war story of this one is that it was for the 200th anniversary. So it was for April, 2019. And the idea came in August of 2018. And it only became because I read a newspaper article from the 1800s where the Oddfellows had a anniversary dinner. And I thought we should have a banquet. And when it came together, it became, uh, it was more of an Oddfellows festival. And it was for four events over three days. And I kept hearing, we've never done this before and so forth. So what I ended up doing was I promoted, I went to each of the lodges and promoted and I got a team together, a, a, a general committee, which turned out to be the same way they did it in the 1800s. So it was just a, a committee that was going to envision the weekend. And then there was going to be these four events that were each committed and then budgeted and uh, the events were uh, basically the bundle of sticks volunteer night, which was get everything ready on Friday. And then on Saturday, there was a luncheon for, uh, for the Rebecca's and we did a, and that committee was run by two guys who I had thought had no chance of pulling it off. And even like the moment of arrival of guests, there was huge problems, but they figured it all out. Magical. Um, uh, magic can happen at the lodge <laughs> in a haunted old building. Magic can happen. And then the, that night we had a big banquet 
in the hall. Uh, so we did two meals in the same day. And then the next day was a brunch that was put on by the initiates of Bastion Four, And it was a uh, charity lunch. And then uh, I skipped out of there because I then went and did a cemetery tour uh, with an odd fellow cemetery tour after that. So we put it together because we had these groups that just said, I get it. And we can, we can make our own little, our air quotes, little event run really well. And I, you know, I just collected receipts for the last few days and it all came together, but my stressor was really trying to communicate the vision. And I was very strict on the vision. I, I didn't want distractions. I didn't want budget overruns. I didn't want these things that could happen with uh, running an event that large. So it showed me that where my leadership kind of lacked and it showed me where I was actually pretty strong. Um, and I think that's what everybody gets a chance to in Oddfellows is it's sort of low stakes leadership learning, right? Like mm-hmm. you're not being asked to run a major ad campaign for your company to promote a new product or to do something you get, okay, I can go into work in this committee and uh, lead this committee and sort of test out my skill of leading and about passing on the vision. So yeah, so I, 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 I was thinking about Odd Fellowship as being that stage for someone to try to be a leader. So um, I think I'm going to take the reins just real quick here. And, and I want to tell a little story um, that kind of segues on that. Um, and that I think that... Um, Oddfellows, one of the things that is good about it is is that um, you can um, take uh, and develop skills in your life by doing some of these events and be fulfilled. You know, so p- perhaps what you're not getting in your professional life, you can then practice and get out of doing these events, and and that's a reward in itself. And so I want to tell a little story about um, how I came up with an event. Um, and just set the record straight on this. Um, is there, um, and this is how I started the uh, Rookie Initiates Dinner, the year that I was Noble Grand. And you guys have, uh, I think, talked about this because I've listened to all your podcasts. It's been mentioned a couple of times. I know it was a big thing for Chef Michael, and I know it was a big thing for a year class, Billy. And, and uh, so in 2017, when I was Noble Grand, um, we initiated our group uh, near the end of March, and um, at the time, uh, looking at our calendar, we had a an event happening early in April, which was a, a community breakfast at our place uh, that needed, I think, a dozen volunteers. And then we didn't actually have any other events happening until early June, till, until our disc golf tournament. And so I had a group as a leader in the law, you know, as Noble Grand, I was looking at this group of initiates that I think were close to 16 or 18 candidates that year. And this was in 2017. And, and I just simply said, you know, what am I going to do with these guys to, to, we just initiated them and I don't want them to just float through the whole spring and and it's going to be two months before they can get involved and do something as a volunteer. And I remember back uh, when we first joined uh, Josh, we, on our before our, some of our meetings, um, we would have the odd brother because we only had 20 people show up to a meeting, so it was much easier then. Is one or two brothers would get together and they'd cook a dinner before the meeting. You know, and brother Aitchison would 
go down to the lot, he'd pop out of his office, he'd throw some ribs in the oven at 10 o'clock in the morning, and then we'd show up before the meeting and, and that. So I had this idea, um, and then here's the, the idea was that uh, I would take that initiate class and I would task them with cooking dinner for uh, the, the lodge for the meeting. And the reason for doing that is that um, it gave them a shared experience to, to work together. Uh, they could form their own committee. And the carrot I gave for them was to empower them is that if, if you raised money at this event, you as a committee would then get to choose what to do with that money. And so I wanted to empower that, that group right off from the start. And I also know that, like you said, uh, with events, there's can be a lot of stress, and especially when we're emitting the public, and sometimes our events are $100, $200, even more uh, ticket price. So the stress for the organizers can be really high. So I wanted to also give a safe event for these members to get used to the lodge and get used to volunteering and get used to doing something at the lodge. So this is all the ideas I had behind that, that dinner. And I think it worked out really well. Um, the other aspect too is that I, I knew I had uh, my it's like Josh Miller sitting next to me holding me accountable as Noble Grand. And uh, really I needed something as a distraction to happen on an evening in May when I was on a Highland Games pub crawl and I wasn't going to be at the meeting. <laughs> so I scheduled a, a social uh, meeting that night and that's when they, they cooked dinner for the lodge. So. That was all the main reason I did it, but it was also so I could uh, I could take a night off as Noble Grant. Well, everything came to fruition perfectly. <laughs> your plan, your plan. I didn't even miss you that that night. And um, and like we've said before, I mean, and and what I truly believe is that you know that initiates dinner is uh, it's it's one of the great the great things that we do for our new guys. And yeah. I would I would yeah recommend any lodge doing that where you just get those you know has. Even if you've only got two or three new members, if they just get together and cook a really simple meal and uh, get get some time working together, yeah. And I think I think genius. from that it's uh it was thank you. I think it's it's uh and I think from that it's allowed people to you know have different roles and and figure out it's allowed the lodge to identify of a new initiate group who are leadership candidates coming out of that and and that um, yeah in that event we raised a lot of money and then that money turned into another event uh, in the summertime. And that person who led both uh, events turns out to be rookie of the year that year. And I think it was all well-deserved and it was somebody who in their day job is pretty much a leader, a decider making decisions all the time. And it showed really well in the volunteer world. And again, just they had so many stories from the kitchen of disasters that were suddenly averted just by some creativity and some judgment that was not by the sole leader. So I kind of want to bridge off of that again and talk a bit about taking everyday leadership to the, to the you know, kind of your daily life. And we didn't get into this at the start, but I think we're defining leadership in in different ways here. And we've said that it's not just vice grand and noble grand, but the real requirement of, of leadership is, you know, it's a relationship and it's, it's not a one person thing. You're, you're never a leader of one and that it's really important in a lodge 
that there's goals. We've talked about goals, but I, I think it's really important that we understand when leadership is good and bad and leadership that is bad within a membership is the member is the member that's distracting from the goals or the positivity of the lodge and and not to say i'm not a leader because i'm sitting in the back and i'm never in a chair you're a leader if somebody turns to you and says uh, why do we do this like why why is this event on or or why do we walk this way into the room and if the reaction or the response is you know, is, is telling the opinion or the view of the person answering the question, then that person's a leader. Like they're getting asked to be a leader because the, the person is open to different ideas or to understanding. And if you get in there and say, oh, it's a really stupid thing that we do, or we really should get rid of it, et cetera, you're, you're acting as a leader. You're influencing the other person's opinion um, because they don't really have one. And I think we have to be very careful about the the leaders that are influencing the lodge and any group, any social group, in the non-productive or distractive ways. I, yeah. I agree, and and I think um, you know back to that. I think you know when Josh and I first joined, uh, there was a, a core group that um, I think the main aspect that they were involved in the lodge was was social. So you know they. We're in in a lot of the lodge positions, but yeah, day to day it was it was um, you know that daily banter uh, and and the attitudes of that core that group you know were were not as dedicated to to odd fellowship. And I think once we made that transition to people around the lodge that were there for the right reasons. I think when I, you know, I was one of a few noble grands that had a vision for kind of having a, a standard of behavior and a, and a standard of, of how we conduct ourselves and how we want to be seen in the community, in the community and how we act around the lodge and creating a culture of, of holding each other accountable and, and that, but also, um, being just a little more conscious of, of who we are and and what our culture is. I think um, what I bring to the table there is is that one of my previous jobs uh, many years ago, well, 20 years ago, is I worked at a head injury recovery center. And um, that experience um, dealt with a lot of people in crisis, a lot of confrontation there. And, and so I think maybe more than um, when there's been a few times uh where we've i think had to deal with some negative behavior in the lodge uh and i'm a little more comfortable in confrontation situations um I'm, and, and uh, i think that sometimes you do need to confront behavior and, and really um hold people accountable and it's not comfortable for some people but i i'm i'm somewhat comfortable doing that and i think that's helped our lodge uh, grow from those experiences and, and it's demonstrated to others that, um, yes, we do have a standard. And I know Josh has, has stood up in the lodge and, and held people accountable as well. So, yeah, I think I'm um, odd fellows in general, we, we lead by example, right. And that's something that, you know, a big part of leadership is, you know, you, you, you wouldn't expect people to do things that you're not willing to do yourself. And, 
when we are out there taking care of our communities and taking care of each other, the last thing we need is <laughs> people who are representing odd fellowship in a way that we just feel unbecoming of odd fellowship. But uh, what I've always believed is that if you keep putting in the good stuff, the bad stuff will fall away. And uh, you keep being positive and showing people that this is kind of what we do here now. And I think that's what we did. I think that's what our class did, me and uh, Russ and Jeff. And, you know, we just started saying, okay, this isn't just a social club. Uh, we're here to do some good. And if you're not here to do some good, I don't know why you're here. You know, if you're not going to take care of me and, you know, your community at large, this hall, you know, perpetuating this order and making sure that it's there's something left over for the people that come after us. Why are you even here? And, um, you know, I continue to um, believe that. And we, you know, over the last five years, because we've created this culture, we don't get people that, that are coming in for the wrong reasons. And if they think, you know, if people start to look at it, you know, their minds are changed pretty quickly about what they what they're expected of to do within this group. And, you know, that's just from strong leadership. And that's from leading by example. And that's from expecting the most out of the beautiful people that we've decided to let into our community. And yeah, it's, it gets easier and easier. The more you do it, it's just like a big snowball, you know, just rolls and gets bigger and bigger and better and better. And uh, you just got to start somewhere. And you told the story previously in our introduction about how you spent a few years trying to figure it out. And it's a good point to, to know that, you know, members only have, they, they have this really thin new members have this really thin timeline that if they're not getting it, they're going to find other, other ways to fill their, their time or their volunteer aspirations and so forth. So if you are able to, translate and communicate what we're all doing and what the the order tries to do and what the lodge tries to do as a as a community service and as a fraternal uh, organization um, you're you're going to do what you say you're going to keep the guys the guys and the girls who are of like minds and the ones who have just come to use the pool table they'll find that that's not everything they they thought it was going to be i think um you know, one of the inside moments, pivotal moments in our lodge for me um, was as secretary, you know, I, re I received a list of um, each year our Noble Grand and Vice Grand um, pick. Uh, you know, we have a, an executive of, of four or five, five, five members that's voted on by the lodge, but then we have a range of appointed positions. And uh, basically at, at one point, um, the you know, when... Brother Aitchison moved into Noble Grand, and he he made his picks, and his vice grand was Jeff Dorian. And when they gave me that list, I, I looked at it, and it was the first time, and I think that was about my third year of being secretary. And I looked, and it was like, wow. I said, what about so and so and so and so and so and so? And he just looked at me, and he was like, and he just kind of shook his head. And that was the first time my lodge had kind of taken the approach of of appointing those people based on merit versus seniority. And that was, uh, I think, the, the start of the wave of change um, that it was acknowledged um, that we had enough members that um, people weren't going to fill 
chairs of importance and and positions of influence by default, just because you know they were a warm body. Being able to fill those, there was you know somewhat of a uh, there was going to be competition to fill those roles, and and there was some prestige to being appointed, and that um, you're going to be appointed based on merit, and and I think that was a the start of of the culture that we have today. And I know that um, when I approached uh, being Noble Grand, uh, you know I approached it with a plan to kind of you know I felt like I wanted to raise the bar and and set you know, drive the bus for the year, maintain as best I could and try and, and set the bar at a standard. And then um, hopefully uh, the next Noble Grand would, instead of starting at whatever standard down there, they if they could start where, where I left off and then keep on and they, they, you know, the hope would be that they set their bar even higher. And, and then the Lodge, um, I think, has done that in the last five years, each Noble Grand has, has come in with a vision to set the bar, have a standard um, that, that we strive to. And, and uh, I think it's been the good for the good of the Lodge. Absolutely. And I just want everybody out there in Goatland to know that we're not perfect. Columbia Lodge yeah. number two falls down in so many places. You know, Billy will tell you right off the bat that we, you know, there's some things that we need work on. But the one thing that we do do is you know, we approach each year with uh, real passion and the want to uh, succeed in, uh, in making a difference within our community. So I think that's, uh, that's one of the things that we're good at, but we've got a lot of things to learn too. And that's, uh, that's what we really hope uh, for the next 10 years. I mean, it's okay to, you know, talk about how great we are, but I think it's important for us to remember that there's things that we can be better at. And, um, uh, doing this podcast has got me realizing that uh, there's a lot of things that 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 we need to learn and that we need to do do a little bit better every year. So that's the next bar that needs to be raised, I think. Yeah, and I think day to day leadership is recognizing. Like I'm, I know uh, for me, um, my time with Odd Fellows, I'm you know, I feel like I I was able to keep my ego in check. Is once I was done as Noble Grand. I didn't feel the need for me to stay in control and uh, I was quite happy to hand over the reins and respect uh, the Noble Grand coming after me that I wasn't going to, um, he may have had a different vision than, and take the Lodge in new ways, but then um, I'm happy to serve under these new Noble Grands and new leaders and support the vision. You know, I, I think all of our past Grands, they're sort of an advisory and we help guide the, the guide the culture of the lodge and we get consulted on things and that's where sort of our, our living history is and so if you want to talk about day-to-day leadership it's it's about being available so that when because um, i think you know i'm done organizing big events i've done four poker tournaments and three or four robbie burns dinners and uh so i think i'm done organizing big events but i'm more than happy to say you know hey this is how i've done it this is you know um how i've found success in in managing things so that yeah new brothers that are wanting to to do an event aren't having to reinvent the wheel um and then even just um you know when you're the noble grand um uh, you have 20 meetings during the year and so you pick certain meetings that are going to be big important meetings and you really pump up those ones 
and you get good attendance to them and, and they're important whether it be like right before an event or for a degree or, or something like that and then other events other meetings you just allow them to be a little more low-key and that's where some of the the things that naturally happen during the lodge you're, you're not feeling as busy and people can kind of catch their breath and and just social focus on social and then that's where perhaps when a, a new leader can feel for, has the space to bring something forward and, and something new can happen with the lodge and they can be supported with that so russell i already i, I can see the next chapter for you i've already got the storyline written out um it's it's you've gone to the pinnacle of the lodge and now it's time for you to return to that scrappy secretary chair uh, because uh, so you can duke it out and help and help uh, move on the next the next group uh, with, uh, you know, because the secretary is a hard job. And uh, I have it on, uh, you know, the inside dope that that position will be uh, open next year. So um, what do you think? Uh, I think I'd be happy to uh, support uh, uh, to coach somebody in that position. <laughs> Come on, seriously. I got this whole story, you know, it's written. It's like, uh, you know, it's like back to the, back to your roots. It's like rags to riches, back to rags again. You know, it's yeah. classic uh, Rocky Balboa story. Uh, yeah, I know there's, I know there's brothers who want to, uh, you know, move through the chairs and, and the secretary is an excellent place to learn. I was just going to put it that is. out there yep. to everybody. It is excellent. It is. You're very involved. Um, what I found is is that um, it's a great position to be very in tune with the lodge. You're the, you're the the you are the communication vehicle for the lodge. So I know uh, I I can't commit to being secretary next year, Josh, because I've made a pledge to my vice grand to sit next to him next year. So that's where I'll be next year. I'll be I'll be, and so which actually puts me right next to the secretary. So it's a, it's a good coaching spot for me because I'll be okay, sitting right well, next to the secretary. All you Columbia Lodge so, number two uh, guys out there, if you want to sit beside Russ and learn from the best, uh, put your name in for that secretary position because uh, it's a great place to learn. And, and the reason I learned that, that it's a it's a good role is, is those first couple of years I was secretary, I realized that when you have a noble grand that um, hasn't written up an agenda um, and it's just following the orders of business as they're outlined in the book, then then you can almost run the meeting because <laughs> you will have written the agenda for the meeting <laughs> and uh, and can control what's what's being brought forward in, in terms of communication and things like that. So yeah, I mean, it was the secretary running the meeting for those early years for <laughs> sure before you, right? <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad that I'm glad that you're uh, you're you're willing to help somebody become secretary. Like I've said a million times before. Um, you know, that's one of the hardest positions. It is a dedicated position. And I love secretaries, all of them. They're the best. Indeed. Yep. Do we have another? Yeah. Do we want to, uh, we've had a couple of correspondence over the last couple of uh, weeks. Do we want to get yeah. into those? Yeah. I thought I would do it at the intro, uh, but we can do it with Russ if you want. Billy? Oh, Billy looks like you're froze. Your camera's no, frozen. I'm not frozen, am I? He's gone. Oh, wait, wow, wait, looking. wait. Hold on. We're having camera issues. We uh we've been getting a lot of uh, really nice feedback from uh, Goatland out there. Uh, a few you hear people me? on Facebook. Can you hear me? And um, I saw this um, pretty awesome poem uh, today, <laughs> all about all about odd fellowship. Where is it? Here we go. I've experienced the ups and downs of life, and often went through common strife. But the greatest event that 
one went was the one when a well-known secret society man and which i now proceed to note was the time i tackled the odd fellow goat you ever heard that one bill yeah, yeah i have heard that one that's a good one you have heard that one yeah oh, okay that's old school so we do have correspondence and i should get to it um let me just segue here rush should stay here for this I received a email from the great state of Pennsylvania here congratulating us on uh, the work we had done, which is always great. Thanks. Send us your love. Love it. Uh, so this is at info at moderngoatrider.com. Uh, this particular person has been in a uh, Grand Lodge secretary chair for a while and wanted to contact uh, Brother Michael and uh, Sister Linnea about the degree. So there we are. We introduced a new district to the degree um, that they talked about a couple episodes ago. So there's a little win for the old uh, modern goat rider. And uh, we also got one on uh, Messenger from uh, another one, actually, from northern Pennsylvania, from Jimmy Kobeski, and he says, Hello, brothers. I recently discovered your podcast. I'm a member of Thistle Lodge number 512 in northeastern Pennsylvania. In 2019, I moved to Montana for a two-year teaching assignment and miss being part of my lodge. There's not a lot of big IOOF presence in Montana. But it's been great listening to your podcast to keep me up on IOOF. Next year, I'll be moving to Germany for a permanent teaching position. I found out there's an IOF lodge nearby, and I look forward to becoming a member with them. In the meantime, keep up the good work in FLT, Jim Kabeski. And uh, we went on to, um, I, I, I thanked him very much for, uh, for, the, for getting uh, in touch with us, and then asked him if there was anything we wanted to talk about on the show. And then he wanted to talk about Germany, and that's when I passed him off to um, my co-host, who's much more knowledgeable about the... Uh, the world <laughs> in general and billy was able to um direct him to a couple of uh german oddfellow groups so there's another win in goatland well done brothers well i just want to thank russ uh for uh coming out with us tonight uh to goatland um it's been it's been it's always great to talk to him especially about leadership because uh, uh as you can as you've heard uh, he's he's one of the best, and uh, I feel very blessed to have him as uh, a mentor uh, in the leadership uh, department um, in our lodge. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Russ. You're most welcome. And uh, one of the things I really enjoyed about tonight is that uh, you know uh, you know you and I have been uh, odd fellows together since day one. Uh, we got a ten year in last last year, and uh, it was really neat for me to hear you articulate your leadership and to find out that it's uh, you know the way you articulated to find out i'm right there on the same page as you so uh that that was a, a treat for me to listen to it's amazing two peas in a pod twins really twinsies very much so very like, much so and like i just brothers. wanted to add one final word about uh russ and his uh willingness to confront conflict for the listeners, Russ, uh, can you give us your height, please? <laughs> Just shy of 6'4". I've never been quite 6'4". Never quite 6'4". And, and your weight. And your mass. 
Uh, COVID weight, probably 285 pounds. Yeah. And, and Russ, what do you do for fun? Just so we all know. Uh, I throw sticks and stones in the field for the Highland Games heavy events. Highland Game heavy, you throw the big sticks, big, big sticks, stone. and big stones. stones, and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't yeah. ask. How did it go over COVID? How did the Highland Games go over COVID? Uh, we actually uh, didn't have our event on the May long weekend, but we were able to hold a virtual Highland Games on uh, Labor Day weekend. So we did a one day event at uh, Craigflower Manor. Um, which is a historical property that the Highland Games Association are caretakers of. And so throughout the day, uh, we had a small group of heavy events competing all day, and we did a live stream on, on the property. And so we managed to keep our number of attendees at 50, and then we uh, rotated the different groups through during the day. So we had pipe bands visit, we had um, Irish dancers, Scottish dancers, and uh, individual pipers uh, and uh, I think at another field there was Scottish hurlers and uh, um, so we had our uh, 157th Highland Games, Victoria Highland Games and we maintained our streak as the the longest running Highland Games in, in Canada so it was a success. Yeah. Nice Congratulations. Work. So Josh and I want to thank Russ again for joining us and conducting our round table on leadership that was a lot of fun and we also want to send out an apology to Justin Bailey, who was the author of the email and the uh, Grand Secretary for the Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania. Sorry for missing your name there, Justin, when the edit was done. Check in with us online at uh, moderngoatrider.com or at the Facebook page, Modern Goat Rider and a podcast for Oddfellows. Josh and I will be back again soon, uh, doing our usual thing of looking at the Odd Fellowship all around us and seeing how lodges can get better. Cheers, NFLT.